0: Are you ready to hear a word from the Lord? Well, all right then. Open up in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're using the house Bibles, that's what I'm reading out of, the one that's right in front of you, Uh, you can open that up and it will be page 1055, page 1055 or 2 Timothy chapter 2. I am going to miss getting to talk about Jeremiah with you. I had so much fun going through Jeremiah. Uh, If you were keeping track, there were a couple of chapters in Jeremiah left, and we will get to those someday. We'll get to all the chapters at some point. Uh, Those last few in Jeremiah were God's condemnation on the other nations, and so the story about what He was doing with uh, Israel was finished, and so it was a good time for us to take a break and move to something differently. And if you're curious, our usual system for going through Scripture together on a Sunday is that we do a section of Scripture from the Old Testament, and then we do a section of Scripture from the New Testament, and then we do some from the Gospels. Now, if you're keeping track, the Gospels are in the New Testament. That means you get a double dose of New Testament for every Old Testament, but Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels is kind of how we rotate through things Having finished the Old Testament, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is a little differently. Usually, we go straight through a whole book or a longer section of a book. Uh, For the next couple of weeks, each sermon will just be an independent sermon, uh, because at some point in the next couple of weeks, we'll start meeting in our new sanctuary. Uh, That looks like it's four or five weeks away, but who can know? Uh, I, like, I'll show up one Sunday, but I guess it's this one now this week. Uh, it's, uh, it's hard to tell with construction schedules, but the next couple weeks, uh, we'll meet in there, and then I think the right thing for us to do with starting with our new sanctuary will be to start with the Sermon on the Mount and go through Jesus' sermon. So, we will begin there. So, the next couple weeks, they'll all just be here and there, uh, though they'll, they'll follow a theme. It'll be coherent only in my mind, but today, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. How do you deal with an adverse situation? Have you ever lived through a difficult situation? Of course you have. You're alive, so you have. It just happens. It's that way for all of us. And when we arrive at this point, Timothy is receiving a letter from Paul the Apostle, his mentor, and Paul is explaining on Timothy how to go through an adverse situation. Timothy's in the thick of it. Paul has been traveling around and starting churches, and then he's been leaving people to go and take care of those churches. And then Timothy, as his young protege, goes and takes care of specific situations at places where Paul can't go to. So, Timothy is in the middle of a difficult situation at a church that Paul had started and had to go away from, and now they've got all kinds of complications. There are misunderstandings going on in this church, There are bad actors. There are people who are just being malicious. Uh, There's people who are teaching wrong belief. Uh, They're teaching things that are absolutely incorrect as if they are true. This is the situation that Timothy is in, and have you ever been in this situation? I mean, have you been in a situation in which, you know, there were misunderstandings going on? And forget just innocuous misunderstandings. Have you ever been in a situation where there are actual bad actors (laughs) that you had to work with who you could tell really didn't want a good outcome, but were just being jerks for no reason? Uh, Because this happens. Have you ever been in a place where people were absolutely saying and teaching and misunderstanding a situation? They got it wrong, but they were trying to present it to other people as if it were right, yeah, we all have, like I say. It's called being alive. You will be at some point. If you are starting school tomorrow, you guys are going to have a great time. It's just going to be a good year. Whatever grade you're in, it's a great year to be a sixth grader, you guys. You know, it's just going to be a good time. You're going to have a great year, and I'm really excited for you. But you'll run into the exact same situations. You're going to run into people who just, there's going to be misunderstandings amongst people you sit around or people you're in the same cohort or classes with. There's going to be other people who just want to stir things up. And you can tell immediately that that's their goal, is stirring things up. And you're going to be around people who are going to be just talking, but talking about useless things. And they're going to be talking uselessly about useless things. It's simply a part of the way things are. But what I have for you today from Paul to Timothy and from God Himself to you is the answer, how are you supposed to act? How are you going to talk? How are you going to respond in these situations which are so inevitable as long as you live in the world? So, I would tell you this is incredibly important (laughs) that we get this right. Let's pray together and let's find out. Father God, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank you for as how confusing so many people's words are, how misleading so many people's words are. I thank you that your word is always clear and always true, so that all there is for us to do today is believe it when we hear it. I pray you put your spirit on us to help us to believe. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. First of all, there are arguments that happen and it's just bickering about the definition of words and what you mean. So Paul says to Timothy as he's going into this church which is dealing with some dissension, he says, first of all, first of all, very first of all, charge them before god not to fight about words this is useless and it leads to the ruin of those who listen but rather be diligent to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed so this sounds great right be diligent to present yourself Before God, as somebody who is approved, who doesn't, a worker who doesn't have to be ashamed. This is what we all want, we believers, right? So tell me, what does it mean to work diligently to present yourself approved before God? What do you have to do to be able to go before your God, you and I, we Christians, we believers, we hard workers on behalf of Christ? What do we need to do in order to go before God unashamed of the work that we've been doing? correctly teaching the word of truth. You know, this is easy for those of us who are teachers to take that. For Paul to say to Timothy, hey, listen, go, don't worry about words. Don't worry about useless definitions. Don't worry about people who bicker about definitions and semantics. Rather, go and teach what is true, and in this way you will present yourself to be approved. You go before God unashamed. You can wear the name of Christ, that is to be called a Christian, unashamed, because what you did was you told the truth. You correctly taught the word of truth. This isn't just for teachers, though. This clearly is for every pastor, for every preacher, for every Sunday school teacher, that you have to teach what is true and clearly true. But it's really for all of us who believe, for anyone who wears the name of Christ. We must rightly and accurately present the word of truth, it might mean sometimes that you, your response to others is, okay, I, I don't know about all that, but let me just tell you that Christ died for your sins. <laughs> and sometimes the answer is, uh, okay, well, you know somebody's trying to make an argument or discussion, it seems useless to you, and you go, uh, I don't know about all that, but I do know uh, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. That's, that's all I know. That's what I know. And in this way, when we go back to Christ, we go to him unashamed. Uh, Long ago now, I worked for a pastor who, uh, at the time, his way of sharing the gospel with people, when he ran into anybody and was talking to anybody and the conversation was longer than about three minutes, he would simply ask them, so, uh, hey, what do you believe about God? It's kind of a cold cold one there, but he would just ask, them, what do you believe about God? And then whatever they'd say, he would relate it, and he says, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, Christians like me agree on this part, but, you know, we also believe this. Or he would figure out a way to say, what do you believe about God? That, That's really neat. That's interesting. You know, what we believe is, and just use that as his way to talk about it. One time we were doing this family mission trip. We, it's like a VBS that we did, but we were doing it up in Estes Park, Colorado. And, uh, and so this pastor, yeah, yeah, we... we I call it a VBS roadshow. It's where we take a lot of families from the church, and we do VBS at our church, and then we go do VBS somewhere else and invite a bunch of kids, and we we're doing it there at a YMCA facility. And so we got to share the gospel with a bunch of other people in a place where there aren't any or very many churches. So we're up there in Estes Park, and it's beautiful, and uh, we're sharing the gospel with people and inviting kids to come out, and uh, the pastor that I worked for found himself in a ski shop. He was just there in this ski shop in the summertime uh, where they sell whatever kind of mountainous you know, climbing and hiking, a very granola kind of a shop, you understand. And, uh, and he says to the guy working their shop, he says, well, what do you believe about God? And the guy working at the shop, being somebody who lives and works in Estes Park, Colorado, said to him with a straight face, I believe that we are all controlled by extraterrestrials from another planet. <laughs> and the pastor I worked for could tell he was serious. And he thought to himself, how do I... He was trying to do the, the mental... <laughs> The mental algebra. How do I connect?" He goes, okay, whatever. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> That's all. There's, there's no connecting that. You'll sympathize if you're following what Timothy says here. He says, don't, don't worry about useless words. There's a lot of words that get spoken. There's a lot of them that are just useless. Don't argue about definitions of words, but rather you will diligently demonstrate yourself to be approved by God, and you'll be able to go before your God at the end of the day unashamed by saying, Lord, I told the truth. That was all I did. I told the truth. I said, okay, that's great, whatever, but let me just tell you that Scripture says of all those who go to Him, He will not lose one. And in this way, we will find ourselves to be approved. Let's go back to that verse, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they are ruining the faith of some. Because we are natives to the world, you were born here, we live in it. Scripture says, like everybody else, we are born children of wrath, just like the rest. We're born into the world, and we talk like the world. You don't have to be taught how to speak like the rest of the world with empty speech with irreverent talking. But Paul says especially, be be weary of these things because the way you talk can lead you down a path to talking worse and worse and away from God. And this isn't just like coarse language or swearing. This is all sorts of just empty speech And Paul says there's some very specific people there where Timothy is dealing with, and these two gentlemen have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they're ruining other people's faith. The words we say are important because it is possible, perhaps, for us to ruin other people's faith as well as our own. Let us fearfully before God, consider how we speak and not allow our words to be empty like this. We certainly do not want to be in the same place as these gentlemen. Now, the heresy that they're talking about is real specific, and we don't know much about it. They're they're saying that the resurrection has already taken place uh, at that time, the resurrection that we are still expecting to take place when Christ returns. The idea I think you're supposed to understand is they're talking about how great they are. They're simply saying, hey, you know what? You guys haven't been resurrected yet, but God did something powerful in my life, and just like Jesus was already resurrected, I experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so now I am perfected. Come and bask in my glory. I think that's what you're supposed to understand they're saying. is They're saying, I have ascended to enlightenment, and you can too. It's that sort of thing, you understand. When, they, when they're teaching people and shipwrecking people's faith that the resurrection has already taken place, they're suggesting that they have already achieved the same state as Christ and so they're kind of a big deal is what they're suggesting. But this is shipwrecking the faith of other people. These ones who are speaking irreverently, these ones who are saying things that are absolutely empty and make no sense. Verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. So, they are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. I think this is a beautiful object lesson or picture for us. The idea being that those who are Christ's are standing upon a literal uh, firm foundation, like a podium, and the podium has an inscription on it, And what's the inscription on the foundation of the people who are standing there? The Lord knows those who are His. We did a neat exercise early in construction where we went into the site when all the carpentry was roughed in, but before the sheetrock went up, and we wrote Bible verses all over everything. I wrote mine right where the pulpit was going to be. And, uh, and I just kind of wrote right there a Bible verse about how the Word of the Lord will never return void. It's, it's something that's very important to me. That's the foundation that I stand on, because some Sundays, I just don't know if what I'm going to say is actually going to work out, or that I'm going to be able to speak comprehensibly. And some days, I'm just worried coming up here. But I always remind myself, no, the Word of the Lord, when it goes out, it will do what it's supposed to do. It will do what God wants it to do. It will not return empty. And so, that, that is on the foundation that I stand on. It, humorously, where I wrote that now has already been cut out uh, for the sound system in the stage in the box. So, ah, uh, well. But we, we inscribed on the foundations there uh, exactly what, was gonna, what we were going to say, what we we're standing on. Will you and I, and any one of you who's ever worried about the state of your salvation Any one of you ever worried that your sins are so great that God will now reject you? No, no. Look at this. This is what it says. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, and if you're standing on it, then you are firm too. And here's what the foundation says. The foundation says, the Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows you, and He has you in His hand. We frequently say, if you could lose your salvation you would have by now and this is one of the reasons why we know you you can't your salvation is not something you're holding that you could lose rather christ is holding you and so you cannot be lost from him because all those who go to him he will not lose one and we who are in christ now we stand on a foundation whether you know it or not and the foundation says the lord knows which ones are his so You can have confidence when these false teachers are teaching false things, and it looks like they're leading people astray. And the confidence that you can have is the Lord already has His, and He knows who are His. But what's especially beautiful about this verse 19 is how it ends. There's this statement at the beginning of the verse of the complete, powerful sovereignty of God. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. There is God holds those who are His. And there's also your work. It's both. Let anyone of you who's going to call upon the name of the Lord, you must turn away from the sins in your life. We must repent and turn from our sins, but He is the one who holds us fast. Do not be afraid. Even in the midst of idle chatter, even in the midst of conversations that are going on a bad even in the midst of it looks like you're losing In a conversation, in a debate, don't worry. You're standing on a foundation, and the Lord holds you fast. So, instead, focus on this. Simply tell the truth and turn away from wickedness in your life. Verse 20, now, in a large house, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. If anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You're not to understand this as God has created you in his household as an instrument for what is dishonorable. You're rather to understand that there's all kinds of functions and uses and purposes. After all, we've all been given different spiritual giftings. None of us has all of them, so we all have to work together or else our church is not working properly if you're not using your gift. Each and every one of us has to there's all sorts of instruments, and all of them can be befouled. Think about it in your house. There's all sorts of instruments, and all of them can be befouled. Any dish can get dirty. It needs to be clean if it's going to be useful again, and it not? So, focus on being holy is what he's saying. That's what this illustration is about. We've got all kinds of different functions and different purposes of God, but every last one of us must Be cleaned and holy, removing what is dishonorable from our life so that we can be used by God in the way that He has created us for use. The focus is not on what kind of object you are. The focus is on any single one of you and whatever your gifting is. We must live holy, honorable lives before God. To that end, verse 22, flee from youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. First flee youthful passions. Pa- passions. Thank you. Flee youthful passions. This I think means a lot of things. I think you understand at whatever age you are that youthful passions are called youthful passions because they start at youth but they don't ever go away, do they? Youthful passions start at youth, but they don't ever go away. So, if you are a youth or a child here today, you'll understand this as well. Youthful passions doesn't just mean physical desire, though. There are other things that are just young, you know, young interests and young passages. When you're young, sure, you are taken by certain physical desires. But is not a youthful passion also to be excited about whatever's new. Excitement over novelty in whatever's new is just a youthful passion which explains how quickly certain youth trends come and then how quickly they go away because the joy there was finding something novel. This isn't making fun of youth culture today, I mean there's plenty, but this is making fun of youth culture in your day when you were a youth because it's always been this way. Novelty is a part of this youthful passion, or just liking what is new. Impulsiveness is a part of youthful desire or youthful passions, is it not? But these things that arrive to everyone who is young and growing up, they're not good or right, but they are to be growing up means gaining self-control over them so many places and in so many areas of life, the message from the world is whatever you desire is good and you need to be able to go and get it. Your desires are all right and nobody should be able to tell you otherwise. Is that how you want to be identified? Is that what you want to be called? Do you want to try that experience? In fact, large parts of the world have always and will always and currently are very boldly saying, you know what you should do is experiment and try different stuff so you can figure out what your desires are going to desire next. And this is leading to the shipwrecking of lots of people, especially lots of kids. Rather, we Christians understand the things that we desire are not always things that are good for us, yes? You don't have to go on very long in life to realize that you shouldn't get everything you desire. It's not good for you. By way of small illustration, some nights, every night, I want Bluebell, (laughs) and then in season, I want to go to Chick-fil-A and get that peppermint chocolate milkshake they only do at Christmas. Thank goodness it's only at Christmas. I I was actually there this week, and I asked for one. I said, how long until we get my peppermint chocolate milkshake back? And she said, months, but uh, it's coming. Be strong until then, plenty of Bluebell to be had until then. You know, not everything that you desire is actually good for you, right? By way of simple illustration, you probably shouldn't get what you want, but this is true about everything else as well and far more true about spiritual things than simply dietary things. We have desires that are misordered, that are wrong. By nature, we're broken, and so the things that we want sometimes are bad and not good for us. You are not to follow your desires or be ruled by them. Rather, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The person who's truly free is not the person who is free to follow all of their desires. The person who's truly free is the one who has the Holy Spirit and is growing in self-control so that we are no longer enslaved to our desires, but we are in control over them ourselves. And so... Timothy says, still in the midst of how do you deal with evil around you, how do you deal with hard conversations and divisiveness and bad actors, and how do you work with other people and live in the world amongst misunderstandings, is this. First of all, he has already said, tell the truth. Don't get caught up in silly controversies over words. Tell the truth clearly, simply, and kindly. Trust the Lord and His foundation, but also you need to live and be holy. You must clean yourself to be used as a vessel by God so that you can be used. God will not use a dishonorable vessel for His service. Rather, you must gain self-control. And so when passions arrive in your life, you're not to pursue them. Every time a desire comes up, it doesn't go, well, I guess I'm going to go do this now. But to grow in self-control and so that you can pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Understand most importantly that love and peace Don't come from following every little desire that you have, but love and peace come from gaining self-control over them. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, and reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. If God is a God of peace then we can't be the kind of people who are going out picking a fight. And so we can't be the kind of people who like foolish or ignorant disputes. Instead, we have to be the kind of people who will reject them. Verse 24, "...the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient." instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We don't just tell the truth. We tell the truth with kindness. And gentleness is what he calls. You know how people say something rude and then finish it up with saying, Hey, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just calling it how it is. That does not look good on you. I'm just saying, it. I'm just calling them how they are. You know, just call, saying it how it is. Telling the truth is not a license to be a jerk, nor is it particularly helpful. Rather, we are called to tell the truth. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle towards everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with, there it is again, gentleness. After all, once again, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and patience. You see, if your goal is to win an argument, then you might know that a little bit of making fun of a person, a little bit of a snide remark, a little bit of wit might help you win in the eyes of other people if there's other people around you, but it won't help you win that person You can win an argument easily using all kinds of underhanded words, using all kinds of evil speech. But the goal here is not to win an argument. What's trying to be won here? Let me read it to you. What are we trying to win? Verse 25, instructing his opponent with gentleness, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses to escape the trap of the devil who's taken captive of them to do His will. We don't try to win arguments, dear friends. We're looking to win people to Christ. We don't care if we lose the argument. We don't care if our words sounded smarter or if we had the more clever comeback. We're never shopping for the last word. You know, so many arguments, somebody just wants the last word and so the argument goes on and on, spinning in circles because you're like, well, but yeah, let me finish up by saying, well, let me finish up by saying. I just want to say in closing that we just need to declare the truth with holy lives, trusting in the foundation of who God is, and then with kindness and gentleness, hope that our opponents, the person who has done us wrong, this person in front of us could be one to truth, because as it is, they are captives to the devil, just like you and I were. Our battleground is not against flesh and blood. Our battleground is a spiritual battleground, so we're not trying to win territory. We're trying to win people to Christ, just as we were one. And if you want to do this then, there are several things that you have to do, and the first is this, anything that's silly or foolish or irreverent, don't even